and welcome back to Hey Look Listen. My name is Liam Sheehan and I'm joined here by Jonathan Marcy and Owner Reardon. Lads, how are you getting on? Fine. <laughs> I missed you guys. <laughs> uh, if, it's been forever since we've sat down long and, time. and recorded. Li- life has gotten away, but I'm actually really, really happy to be recording before 7am in the morning on my time. <laughs> it's very early for Owner on this, on this podcast recording. Because we're all we're all scattered these days, and we? we're all over the place. You have to work out the time. So I think this got, sets a good precedent of let's get a really early time for own every time. Yeah, the earlier the better. It's amazing how like because Liam, you're in Sweden, so you're one hour ahead of Marcy, who's five hours ahead of me. In but Yemen, it, it is amazing how that one extra hour on your end does throw everything off. I'm gonna take that personally. <laughs> <laughs> how rude. <laughs> but um, let's start off um, by talking about what we're playing, if we're playing anything. Um, Jonathan, would you like to begin? I suppose I could. Um, I've been playing quite a lot, um, actually. Um, I did recently just pick up the new Switch OLED. Mm. Ooh. Um, I thought about that for a very quick second. If you have an old Switch... And you've played it to shit and it's falling apart, sure, it's worth buying it. If you've never had a Switch before, you could buy that as well. Or maybe the Switch Lite, really, if it has to be pushed. Um, I took it out of the box and I was like, wow, this is great. It looks brilliant. And after about an hour, I was kind of like, that's quite the same, really, actually. I've just spent oh, a lot of money. What do you mean? What do you mean? It doesn't blow you away. Like, it really doesn't. Oh. And I'm, I'm playing, like, uh, Oberdin right now, Return of the Oberdin, which, if you know the game, it has, like, yeah. It's black and white, you know, mostly. So, like, it has these really dark blacks, which is perfect for OLED. But it's just, it's just like, it's a bit disappointing, you know. And the the kickstand, you know, I, that 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 shouldn't be a feature, but it is. Um, but I've been enjoying returning over Din at least. Um, that's been awesome. Uh, finished up Final Fantasy Nine a few weeks ago. Obviously, Ooh. sent you guys. Very exciting. Very emotional. Thanks for. It's just like I cried. I cried when you sent me the message. I was like, wow. <laughs> Marcy used to bully me in school for playing Final <laughs> Fantasy IX, and now, no, that, no, that's not true. That's, that's not and now, true. look at him finishing it. <laughs> I'm reformed. Um, and then I'm also playing um, Cyberpunk. So okay, really? Uh, yeah, So because I got a big patch there a few weeks back. I said, let me pick it up again and give it a go. Um, the story is fun. Like, it's a fun story. Gameplay is shit, and um, it's bugs around every single corner still. Yeah. But... Mm. Again, it's what you know. CD Projekt Red are so good at is world building. The world is really cool, and the music is fantastic, and like some of the narrative is brilliant. Um, it's just I imagine if you were really hyped for it and you were really excited for it, it would it would be quite quite a letdown. Uh, like the million dollar the million dollar question I have about it, Marcy, is if the game actually performed well in terms of zero bugs <laughs> and it was it played like they intended it to play, would it be a great game? No, it'd be an okay game, really, and 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 then like a not so okay RPG. Um, loads mm. of features missing. Um, there's literally like there's parts of the game where you can literally drive to parts of the island, and you can see parts of the map that aren't finished. Um, and there's even like there's a couple of abilities in the game as well that you can unlock. And this is kind of me reading some stuff on Reddit about it as well. Um, that they had ideas for those special abilities to be used in the, the game and different stories, but they didn't get to finish that either. So there's actual like abilities you're going to unlock that are just pointless. Um, 
it's a shame because it, you, when you're playing it, you're like, wow, I can feel the potential that this would have had if they'd really nailed it. It probably would be one of the best games ever made. Like that, that's how how incredible it could be. But um, mm. yeah, it is disappointing. And like the bugs do suck. Like I'm talking about. Um, so I'm just going to the part of the game where um, uh, Ken Reeves, uh, what's his name, Johnny Silverhand, whatever his name is, comes along. Um, for, the, for the first like 20 minutes, he was in the game. He had no face. Uh, and it was just like it was just you know that kind of where you see the eyes and kind of the mouth. Uh, Are you playing it on like, PC? Crazy. Playing on PC, yeah. So this should be the best way to play it, right? Um, yeah. And it's, it, it is. So it is a bit disappointing, but um, but no, enjoying that and enjoying Return of the Overdin though right now. So I love Return of the Overdin. I'm delighted you're playing that as well. So good. It's so good. It's one of my favorite so games good. the last few years. Um, yeah, I think I think grab me. I think I was texting Liam about this because I think on the episode that we did together Liam you had mentioned it to me um, about playing it so I picked it up after that and whilst I appreciated what it was trying to do it just didn't grab me at the time right mm-hmm. I think I was I, I felt like it was the game that it has to be your life and for a certain period of time just the way that the game is actually structured and I couldn't give it the respect it deserves at the time it, you know it's a great game for switch on because it if you, yeah. that ability to pick it up and put it back down again and jump straight back into it for like an hour at a time I think it works really well with it um, I, I yeah. was completely engrossed. I, I remember finishing it and wishing. I think of all the games I've ever played, I wish I could um, erase it from my memory. So, Marcy, take your time with it as well. I'll say, if you're stuck, don't look up anything on the internet because mm. you'll never get the chance to solve that mystery for the first time. And like, just take your time and put it down for a few days if you have to. But like, it's great. I right? wish I could play that game for the first time again. It's yeah, so yeah. satisfying. It's such, so such, good. A, such a great experience. Hey, Owen, Booby, what are you playing? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I have no idea. Um, I finally got my hands on the PlayStation 5. Ooh. Yes, it is a monstrosity of a fucking console. It is huge. Um, but I'm enjoying my time with it. I picked up uh, Ratchet & Clank a Rift Apart as part of the, the bundle that I got. So I pretty much fucking beelined it and finished it in you know four or five days Thoroughly enjoyed my time with it. It's more Ratchet and Clank, so you know what you're kind of getting into. What I've discovered with PlayStation 5 and what I imagine this whole probably next generation of consoles that we're going to get for the foreseeable future isn't necessarily about fidelity, but more about performance. So as in, it's, you know, Ratchet and Clank is, in my opinion, should be a really great showcase for what a console can do. And like when you boot it up, it looks like you're paying, you know, it's gotten to the quality of the Pixar animation, but it's the fact that it runs at a flawless 60 frames per second with, you know, I think, I think ray tracing was uh, turned on for me, but you know, that's probably pushing the the console pretty far. I just don't see how much further we're going to get in like terms of graphic fidelity, but really, really it's about performance. And that kind of also rung through with um, Ken Average of Spirits, which I played for about f- maybe five or six hours. And I think I'm, I've had, I've done my time with it. I'm like, okay, I know what this is about. I look forward to what uh, Ember Lab Games does next. I was speaking to, to Liam about this. We were texting back and forth and it's very much a, you can tell it's a developer's first game. Mm-hmm. So these guys I believe they come from uh, animation studio background. 
They made it's a Majora's a, Mask, a Majora's Mask fan video on YouTube. That's I remember that. Yeah, I remember seeing that uh, kind of fan movie, and it's it's a it's the best modern day PS2 game, and I think <laughs> a lot of the reviews ring true with that. And Liam, you actually just released a uh, you're doing a top twenty GameCube lists mm. available yeah. for for people now on on our uh, Instagram and social pages. And you had Star Fox Adventure up there at number twenty, I believe. Sorry, I, I know it's I know it's a game you love, and I was going to own it. No, it's a, it is a game I love, but <laughs> it, it reminds me a lot of Star Fox Adventure uh, playing through it. Basic, you know, two or three button uh, combat with some depth, gorgeous animation, um, but it's just it's quite <clears> sparse, and you can tell that it's like you know a double A kind of a budget game that we don't necessarily get anymore. That was ripe during the PS2 era. Um, I I finished Alan Wake as well. I've been working hard and I've kind of been playing hard. So it is the spooky season. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I finished Alan Wake and now I'm I'm moving on to uh, Control. And is, that, doing... is that the remaster of Alan Wake you played? Well, like I'm, I think on PC, right? So the, rem- oh, right. the remaster is actually uh, the code that they built that off, I believe, is actually the 2020, the 2012 remake or remaster, PC remaster or release. So I'm going on to control now. Um and then and then yeah, I think Liam, I think I'll do Death Stranding after after oh. this. Yeah. I'm very, very interested to see. I, I have complicated feelings towards that game. Um I love it, but it's you know <laughs> not good. <laughs> kind of, can, I ask you, can I ask you a question on why why would you play control? It's absolutely terrible. It's one of the worst games Ooh, ever, what? ever ever made. I hated control. Genuine, and I, I don't use that. I do use it word often, actually. I put but, it down. Um, I, I, I'm not going to be as dramatic as Marcy, but I put that game down twice. I tried to get into it two times, and um, I just the first two hours couldn't grab me. So I, I've played like four or five hours of it, but it was I was at that stage where it was like the PlayStation Five is coming out. I will hold off on playing this because I know I can play it in the future mm-hmm. again with better performance. Uh, it completely grabbed me. So I, I think you guys know, like I'm, I'm very much into the world of of Alan Wake. It's it, it holds a special place. And they're in my connected heart, so. now, aren't they? They're, and they're narratively connected. connected. They're the same. Oh, wow. They're the same universe. Um, so uh, Alan Wake has what they call in the universe uh, an AWE, um, which is kind of like an altered world event. So as in, like in the world of the Bureau in Control, Alan Wake is is lore, and they know about what's going on. Um, and it's it's a vibe thing with control for me, Marcy. Uh, I think Remedy have a very strange way of gameplay mechanics in their games. Bad, bad yeah, yeah. Nothing seems to, <laughs> but it, it's it's kind of like when you you get a game where instead of jump being con- mapped to X, it's mapped to triangle, and it doesn't bad, necessarily yeah. click in your in your because it's it's not natural. Yeah. Um, apart, apart from that, I like. I think it's an absolute showcase of like uh, graphical potential and mm. the. No, the I, 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 I know I'm in the minority as well. Like, like it got rave reviews and a lot of people loved it. Yeah. I just, just couldn't. Yeah, same. It's, it's name, a I vibe. Couldn't get me, into you know? it. Yeah. I, get I, it. I, I, lo- I love that world. So, Liam, what about you? Before we dive into our topic of this week, 
Look, we'll, we'll actually, we'll, I think we'll just get to talking about Metal Gear. I won't talk about okay. a game this week, but, no, I, but well, I want okay. to... I want Sorry to, for uh, asking. Yeah, it's a bit rude, yeah. <laughs> no, I just want to take uh, my little segment. I want to take a moment to just say, this is our 20th episode, and I just want to thank both our audience, and I want to thank you two. Um, I, I want to speak for you, but this has been like one of the funnest things I've been doing for the last few months, and I've absolutely loved it. And... I'm delighted that I got to reconnect with Yi through it in a lot of ways. So I just want to take this moment to thank Yi and thank people who are listening. It's crazy. We wouldn't do this if people didn't tune in, but they seem to tune in and listen every time we release an episode, you know, even if it's just some people. So we're loving doing this. And thanks for helping us get to episode 20 plus change. (laughs) Thank you to our sponsor, ExpressVPN, for all of your... That was very nice, Liam. Thank you. And it it meant a lot more um, to me and Owen with you uh, having your shirt off um, right now. So thank you for that. (laughs) It's a very Freddie Mercury look, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it looks great. Gosh, shall we talk about Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater? That's why we're here. I have uh, just a little bit of information just uh, for people who might not know about this game. Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater is an action-adventure stealth game produced by Konami Computer Entertainment Japan for the PlayStation 2. It was released in late 2004 in North America and Japan and 2005 in Europe and Australia. It was the fifth Metal Gear game written and directed by Hideo Kojima and serves as a prequel to the entire Metal Gear series. An expanded edition titled Metal Gear Solid 3 Subsistence was released in Japan in late 2005, then in North America, Europe and Australia in 2006. And a remastered version of the game was later included in the Metal Gear Solid HD collection for PlayStation 3, Vita, and Xbox 360. And also, there was a reworked version of Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater called Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater 3D for the Nintendo 3DS in 2012. Um, Just to begin us on this game, I just want to have a a kind of a blanket statement to throw at you and, and see how you react. Um, we kind of began this podcast with Metal Gear Solid and, you know, we've been kind of making our episode 10 and episode 20 an event. Like, well, like we're three big Metal Gear Solid fans, essentially. Um, Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater, Snake Eater is my favorite Metal Gear game. What do you think of that? I think I would. it would be my favorite Metal Gear game and would be maybe one of my favorite games of all time. So I would not dispute you on that at all. Yeah, I know it's... I I don't know where I rank it. I it's I you know I told you guys b- before we kicked off today. It's it's probably I have really fond memories of playing it. Yet it's probably my least played Metal Gear Solid game in in the entire franchise. I probably picked up five more times than I have um, three. But at the same time, the first time that I played it, it was one of those games that I played over. the space of two days because i couldn't put it down yeah and i although i i did play some of that 3d version for actually it was a demo on the 3ds i remember having well, that and bringing it i think i brought it to your house once liam and both of you played it and you had the same reaction i had it was like it works that's nice <laughs> and then just kind of put i it remember away. being amazed that they could get metal gear solid 3 onto a ds but i mm. remember thinking the controls were terrible yeah they were they were wonky. The three D effect as well was there was points in the game where you had to physically turn it off because just you because it was such a low <laughs> red screen. You're like I don't know what's in front of me, and it's it's a sneaking game so much of it. So it was it was very hard to navigate around. But yeah, I think no, Liam, your your statement is I think a fair statement. Well, I think it's the last Metal Gear Solid game that I've loved unequivocally. 
that like I don't have any kind of problems with. I think it's the last true masterpiece Hideo Kojima has made. And like he's continued being a fascinating, interesting designer, but I always have just huge pockets of these games that I have problems with, you know, despite the fact that I love Metal Gear Solid 5, I love Death Stranding. I just think um, Snake Eater is his, is his opus. And I think one of the, the main reasons for that is kind of almost, he found a sweet spot in it between his mentalness and kind of telling a kind of uh, <laughs> telling a kind of um, character driven story. It's the most character driven Metal Gear game, I think. It has the best arc through a game. Mm. Um, yeah, like I said, it's a prequel, so we're not playing as Solid Snake anymore. We're playing as um, the man he was cloned from, uh, Big Boss. What's his name? Naked Snake in it, right? Na- na- yeah. Naked Snake, yeah. <laughs> and he ha- he had some personality. You know what I mean? Like so, like I like Solid Snake in in the first one was. You know, he was very militant. He was very, uh, you know, a lot of uhs and uhs. And I, like, Big <laughs> Boss enough, had enough. that. But at the, at the same time, I think he had, like, a bit more humor. Yeah. And I think the cast around him, Liam, you're, you're actually 100% correct in saying that it's probably the most character-driven uh, Metal Gear rather than, rather than the exterior events kind of driving the story it was the interpersonal relationships and what was happening with the characters that was actually leading the plot forward it's, and that was a massive yeah. driving force it's the easiest game as well if, if we were to ask one of us to explain it in five minutes in this podcast you could do a pretty good job like it's it's the tightest story as well um there's not like lots of cutscenes of just ludicrous exposition about the patriots or whatever <laughs> f- fucking nonsense it's yeah, just a tighter there's a little bit yeah but it, it's it's just a tighter story i think as well there's a word, you know, that, that's bandied around these days, you know, on the internet, you know, for, to, to describe a, a certain type of person. Um, simp. Would you say that um, Naked Snake is a bit of a simp? And that's kind of the <laughs> the whole structure of his of his character arc. He's basically in love with his mentor and that drives the whole thing. You can, you can kind of simplify it to that, couldn't you? I'm, com- I'm coming in here with these takes, you know? <laughs> this is shameless. Just doing our best to appeal to a younger audience. Couldn't be more obvious. Uh, I can let Owen, Owen answer that one. What's the definition of simp? Yeah, I wouldn't know either. Set a Simpsons fan, season one to nine. <laughs> um, oh, but the general plot of, of yeah. Metal Gear Solid 3, let's just yeah. begin. How, how I love how it opens. It begins... Um, it's kind of similar to Metal Gear Solid 2 in the sense that Metal Gear Solid 2 begins with a tanker mission. And a lot of the advertisements were, you know, this is the game, but that's only the prologue. And when you begin Metal Gear Solid 3, you don't realize you're kind of in the prologue. You're, you're not going to be doing this mission for the rest of the game. And you're, you're landed in the jungle. And you're rescuing... Uh, it's, like you said, Marcy, it's very, it's very tight. It's very kind of easy to explain. You're rescuing... Um, a defect, R- Russian defectors? Is a that Russian it, defector. Am I right? He, he, yeah, he, he, yeah he, After the Cold War, he defected to the West, and uh, the Russians have grabbed <laughs> him again to make him work on, um, you know, you know, a silly robot. <laughs> this is, this is, this is, <laughs> no matter how grounded the story gets, it still eventually comes down to robots when it's about uh, when it's Metal Gear Solid. And yeah, and uh, you find that your old mentor, the boss who, who who trained you and raised you, kind of, and it's very vague what their relationship is. Is, is it mm. mother and son? Is it lovers? Which I like that they kept it kind of um, unspecified. And she ends up defecting to the Russians. And um, while that's happening, main bad guy, Volgan, who we, we'll probably talk about more because he's a, he's a striking character in a lot of ways. <laughs> he sets off a nuclear bomb, uh, an American nuclear bomb. Now, suddenly there's a, there's a whole... There's a whole kind of um, 
cold the cold war might fall out of balance here because uh, american nuclear bomb went off in russian territory so you got to go in again and you got to kill your mentor already that has more character content to latch onto than most Metal Gear games. And you've already, already started, you've only started the story, you know. Snake has to kill someone who he essentially loves. And that mm-hmm. no matter what all their other ridiculousness is around that, that's like the heart of the story. And it is for the, the whole game, which is great. Yeah, like, you know, you make a really good point on on the opening of, of that game. Because it, it's very, it's almost kind of like a beat for beast similarity to, in my opinion, actually, uh, Metal Gear Solid. Mm. Um, I think it's it's quite similar in terms of how true, like the, the the opening two or three stages as the game kind of begins to open up from um, a gameplay point of view, Liam. That I think you land in this first area where it kind of acquaints you to there's one or two enemies within the small uh, jungle area, and then it opens up where you can approach it from. There's like five to six enemies and the area is bigger and it kind of is making you kind of relearn the game Mm -hmm. um which in my opinion is probably one of the best or better um sneaking and stealth uh metal gear solid games um i think the point at which everything kind of kicks off both from um a gameplay and story point of view is when you're uh you're in like an abandoned warehouse and I think from there, uh, it's before the, the bridge scene where everything kind of takes place and, and mm. uh, the prologue essentially kind of ends, um, is you're approaching this facility and there's like 10 different ways to actually infiltrate. And yeah. I, re- I remember playing this for the first time and I was being completely blown away because I, I wouldn't actually call myself a very good Metal Gear solid player. Um, I like died so much. I, yeah, I remember as a kid yeah. thinking, "Oh, this is far more difficult than the other two yeah. Metal Gear Solid games. Like mm-hmm. far, far more difficult." But and and it builds and it builds, but like it it opens up a set like it's almost like a miniature linear sandbox if you if you know mm. what I mean. Um, and I I feel like seeing what Kojima has tried to do with something like Metal Gear Solid Five and uh, like Ground Ground Zeroes is he was trying to perfect this like me- what he created in Metal Gear Solid 3 which is let's give players this sandbox of how they want to do it and i think uh 3 was kind of like the inception of that um of that vision mm. it was, there's and it introduces so many cool little features like the camouflage you know hiding the undergrowth blending in uh eating snakes of course which is very very important um yeah. but i remember the the first thing i took from when i played it originally when what 2004 i think you said liam um so we've been a young lad that um, long ago yeah, yeah uh, it just feels like uh, a bond movie which i know we're going to talk about at some point later as well but that whole opening with the the snake eater uh, tune which i was singing here ca- uh, casually while we were waiting to get started um and just no the no whole... you slowed us down getting started yeah, i did yeah, I did, yeah. It's, it's a four minute song um <laughs> but uh the whole halo jump scene and like the the intro credits it's just such a it's so different from Metal Gear Solid 2. Just like very, very quickly, it's like, oh, this is, this feels like a very different vibe and a very different approach. But um, yeah, definitely, definitely harder. And then even harder again on the 3DS because you couldn't fucking see anything. <laughs> well, actually, like it, it's one of those things you wouldn't think about. But when we originally played it in 2004, uh, compared to when we probably played it, especially on the 3DS, he kept the old camera style. 
true. And I remember, I, I remember yeah. reading about this about how it was like almost no wonder it was so fucking hard because <laughs> there was no 3D camera. So well, we, see, play, we played it the hard way, like. Yeah. But what's yeah. interesting is he, did, he kept the camera of the previous Metal Gears, which is kind of above you. But those oh, those two Metal Gear games were based around a soliton radar system in the top right corner, so you could see where enemies were as dots. And but because this is set in 1964, and you're kind of working with um, antiquated technology, and that's kind of the point of it. You're given you don't you don't have a straight radar. You have things like um, a sonar um, device, and you can and you can a motion detector and really cool things. And I kind of get the idea of kind of limiting your camera and forcing you to rely on these gadgets to kind of see enemies, and it's kind of challenging. But in practice, what ended up happening in that game a lot is you'd be running along and you'd stand still and go in first person to look around because you can't yeah. see far enough mm-hmm. ahead of you. And I think there's an argument to be had that because if you if you start coupling that cam- that kind of difficult camera view with all the gadgets, and uh, it, it might be an interesting way to play it. But I, um, when I finally played the HD remake, which is based on subsistence, and it had full 3D camera control, it, like this is a game I already loved. It was a revelation for me. I couldn't believe it. I just thought it was much better. Well, I think I think part of that as well with the original camera was I could be wrong in saying this, but I think the this like the views, uh, the line of sight for the enemies in this game and the AI that 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 they had upped it. So the whole thing is like you were you know without the three D camera, you couldn't necessarily see what was around in fully around in your space but enemies could see you and yeah you would, i like yeah. you wouldn't see them within your screen you're like how the hell am i uh, do i continue getting caught i don't fucking see anyone and i i vividly remember that from my first playthrough because with a cell game it's super frustrating when as, you're as, like but as a compliment i'll say it kind of taught you to be super careful i yeah. think you can start getting cavalier in sons of liberty after a while you you, uh, you get your you get your tranquilizer gun and you're kind of like hey, i can see yeah. them all on radar like, <laughs> <laughs> i got him got him you have to be super careful in um in snake eater and what was great about that it was the new setting of course like uh, metal gear solid one and two are very uh facilities and corridors and this one is set in the jungle and marcy you mentioned briefly survival um survival aspects are, are very much implemented the gameplay marcy what do you feel about kind of that aspect of the game i'm talking about food camouflage and like even um injuries is another part of it yeah it's weird at the at the time when i was younger i was like oh this is really cool i like i feel especially because i think one of the first is it the prologue one of the cutscenes, he breaks his arm or i think the boss breaks his arm and you have to like yeah. repair it and that's like, right yeah oh, yeah so so visceral mm-hmm. um i will say that most of the the mechanics i used were were actually because of the camera so i would get <laughs> i'd be sneaking around get myself into trouble of course and then run off and have to a either hide and wait for them to stop looking for me and then spend the next five minutes at repairing parts of my body um i actually i really enjoy them i think when when he tried kojima tried to position it as like a more of a survival kind of sneaking uh, tactical espionage game whatever it is on the front of the box um i think it kind of works i like it it adds uh, it adds a silly bit of uh uh, foolish depth to it um like spending time in the menu screen and going through the different bandages and having to figure out what a splint does um oh do i need to use a lighter to get off leeches um yeah it's still when i'm saying it out loud it sounds absolutely ludicrous but at the time i was like oh this i'm i feel like i really am surviving out in the jungle um, it's really cool i love it in the main gameplay and yeah. i kind of hate it in boss fights 
yeah, what, yeah. Ends up, what ends up happening because like all Metal Gear games of the boss fights are incredible but what ends up happening is that every time you take damage you have to go into the menu and play Trauma Center and just kind yeah. of start okay well, cigar <laughs> yes. uh, okay this is a crossbow <laughs> it, I, so I gotta use the knife to dig it out but I agree with you it just in the in the general gameplay when you're just like it, when shit goes wrong that's another compliment I'll give the game um, in Metal Gear Solid 2 and 1 I love playing it still so often when I got caught if things were going really wrong I would just kind of give up and let myself be killed and then just start sneaking it again. But uh, Metal Gear Solid 3 is great at the, I've been caught now, and now I gotta, I gotta, rec- I gotta correct my mistake and panic. And just the kind of all, the whole kind of thing of you're shot and you're wounded and you're leaving a blood trail and you have to kind of go into the menu and fix your wounds while you're hiding in long grass. It, did kind of, it feels like Rambo. It does, it does. Mm. And, and mm. I think a Metal Gear Solid game isn't a Metal Gear Solid game unless it has some wacky uh, side to it. Um, and even yep. just for me, get, hearing Snake eat a toad and go, ugh, disgusting. I love all the that There's so many things to eat in that game as well. And <laughs> and you can poison yourself accidentally. And you can, yeah. yeah and, am, and you I, can, am I wrong in saying that your food can go off if you yep. keep it for too yeah. long? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And if you go into the menu and spin Snake around, uh, in the camera view, he'll get sick. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And the camouflage worked really well as well. Like there was a ton of different types of camouflage because even though uh, the game, um, the main setting is a jungle, um, that like there's a ton of a place you end up going caves and kind of um, facilities later on that mountains that kind of weren't advertised. I I used to love kind of you know finding the perfect camouflage for the, for the perfect setting and then just lying on the ground. Yeah, right that, there, right there in front of yeah, someone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, it was a really good and like, what was the when I think about it, what was the like evolution of the the gameplay mechanics as a series? And I, you know, I think camouflage, you know, it, it was in, uh, it made its way into Metal Gear Solid Four in a in a big way as well, which oh, your suit, yeah, yeah. which your suit. Um, I loved that feature. I absolutely love. I spent way too much time, um, customizing all of my camouflage outfits based on on the environment i absolutely loved it and it was dictated by your percentage meter right yeah so as in like i loved the you reach 85 percent, and you just know that it might be enough but it might not be enough it's like yeah. i don't i don't have something to cover my head but the rest of my body is shown and, and it's yeah. tense then it's tense yeah. you're kind of, you're, you guards are coming and you're like oh my god am i camouflaged enough because i'm not hiding well i'm completely relying on the camouflage <laughs> <laughs> i haven't managed to get to a good position to hide one of my favorite things about the game um and, and this is a direct comparison to five I, I i love how he decided to turn these things into big open world things and you mentioned that on and um but i like the small isolated areas that are like you said own sandboxes as you go on but what i love about it is the variety mm-hmm. so do you think the game holds up on in terms of like is it are the good parts all in the jungle because you there's actually a lot of this game that's interior more, much more than you've, you 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 might remember and yeah you have to like properly dress up as scientists and stuff and kind of sneak around facilities and stuff like throw smoke in people's face from yeah with the, with the cigar yeah cigarettes or cigar or whatever it is but like my my memory goes back to like it's been a while since i played it liam right but like my my memories of that game is two different types of of games um one the fondest bits go back to the jungle environment and then i associate everything that kind of happens in the mountainside and later on with the labs and uh in the latter half of the game as the okay we're more in story mode now even though there is some 
sandbox elements to it, being on the base and how you can uh, um, uh, approach you know, sneaking and um, and the stealth aspects. But the majority of, of what I associate with Metal Gear 3 is mostly in, um, is actually the jungle environments. Yeah, and it's funny because the, those, you, you kind of split the game in half almost there pretty well. And there is a moment in that game <laughs> that kind of heralds that I think it's very intentional on um, Kojima's part to kind of say, there's, there's two halves of the game. Here's the game I advertise in the jungle and here's everything after it. And there's a, you literally climb out of one half of the game into another in a, a long extended ladder I sequence. Think it's, which, I think it's yeah. four minutes. Which I have a friend really? who hasn't. I have a friend who hasn't played Metal Gear, but I think I think her her brothers did, and she knows the latter bit. She remembers it. It's like stuck in her head. I think it's known to non gamers as massive ladder but, sequence. But the, 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 the music fading in and out, like that's you know. the thing, right? I think I think Kojima, I think there's a couple of more than a couple of scenes within that game where Kojima escalates the the plot and the stakes and the action, and then post those scenes, he lets it. And he he lets you breathe, and mm-hmm. he lets you kind of absorb that. You know what? The, while this game has is serious to a certain degree, it's also campy and stupid as hell. You know, and I think it's those small moments that let you digest what you're actually playing, which is like this is fucking silly. It's it, but it, it's like you're invested. Yeah, it, it nails the Metal Gear uh, Solid type of humor the best out of any game in the series. I think. Um, like remember when you first meet Ocelot, a young Ocelot, mm-hmm. um, and I can't remember the name of his unit, but they're they're the Ocelot unit. Is, is okay. That's yeah. where, where I should have gone with that. Uh, uh, he but, is a great writer, I will say. Yeah, he <laughs> is. Yeah, he's, it flourishes here. Um, but he just he meows. He's like meow. The first time that's you meet him, he, that's like the signal to get his guys to call the team. Yeah, yeah. But so he doesn't it, just meow. He does. He does like the. Hand thing. It does, yeah. We can't, you this can't, is an can't, audio can't, podcast. Can't, I'm doing hand thing right, right now. now. Yeah, but it looks really <laughs> ridiculous. Um, but it, but he does it in such a way. I think the humor never really uh, takes you out of the immersion of the actual kind of you know interesting story. But um, yeah, I don't know that that ladder sequence though. Like if you saw if you saw that in a game today that wasn't a Metal Gear Solid game, how would you react to that? You think I it's don't daft, know, but like. Look at it where we're, we're talking about it. It sure. sticks in it sticks in the mind. It's twenty like, years it, later. It, it, yeah. It's so See, much better doing it, something it, weird it could and memorable. Be the, it could be the original Mass Effect elevator sequences, which weren't on purpose, but made no. you wait four minutes between all these fucking loading struggling to play Mass Effect back in the day. No, this ladder was very much intentional. That wasn't masking any loading screen. I, you know, Liam, I, I think you said off the both of you guys actually said it uh, at, at the top of the show that it's. It's probably, not probably, it definitely is Kojima's tightest work. And I think there's a lot of intention um, that helps this game really flourish through its through its tightness. And um, I think those scenes that we're talking about in particular and the latter scene, all of these things just combine to make just something just... It, it is his magnum opus. Uh, Liam, the more we speak about it, the more I'm like, yeah, 100%. <laughs> Well, perfect segue because um, all Metal Gear Solid games have amazing boss fights, and I can just say, do you want to talk about the Metal Gear Solid Three boss fights? But Marcy, like, do you want to talk about one in particular, the famous one? Like, it's the 
the end, right? It's one of the most amazing. I'm not not the end of the game, though. <laughs> not yeah, the yeah. End of the game. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, very good. Uh, not, I'm not probably the best person to go to uh, for that because I've never played it. Um, so I heard. Oh, uh, you? Yeah, yeah. I'm, oh, yes, I'm cheeky, that guy. I'm, son I'm, of a bitch. I. It's weird. I'm the opposite of Owen. Uh, Snake Air Three is possibly the game I've played the most from start to finish of any other game. Um, I, I just love it so much. It's like it's such a tight little adventure. But the end, I've never experienced that um, amazing uh, sniper scene. So, for anyone who doesn't know, the end is like this super super old, infamous uh, sniper. I think he's Russian. Um, who the game mechanics are that he can kind of blend into the into the background. You can't see him, and so, so it's supposed to be this really tense. Um, long sniper battle between Snake and him uh, in you know the the jungle undergrowth. Um, but at the time, I can't remember who. I think I might have read it in. Um, yeah, it was all like, over uh, magazines. It was, it wasn't was in it? a magazine, wasn't it? it was yeah, like official PlayStation magazine, something like that. If you change the time on your PlayStation console um, to like a, a week ahead or something like that, um, he would die um, of old age. <laughs> of old age. Um, and I remember <laughs> trying it, thinking, "There's no way this will work," um, and it did. And I've done it every single time. <laughs> I've played it, even, even on the 3DS. I just got such a funny cutscene. But so I, I, I haven't actually played the incredibly uh, tense. But uh, isn't that scene. so Kojima though? That uh, that whole idea. Only he he would come up with something like that. It's actually. wonderful, and man. How would anyone figure it out? I don't and know how just, people figure things, things out. Exactly, yeah. Somewhere. It, it goes back to the time of like of, of the first Metal Gear with like Psycho Mantis reading your memory yeah, card. You know, maybe sure. vibrating the controller. Just things that are like they're not necessary to the game they're not like important but they just you walk away again you kind of remember and go god that's such a, an yeah. interesting feature it's like you just know the amount of effort and detail the team put into making these games um that they have little kind of little easter eggs like that i love it and i will always do it but you are depriving yourself i know from, yeah. from one of video games best ever um boss fights i remember playing it as a kid what's so good about it is that it was ages before i even realized it was in boss fight like, I don't think I fully kind of grasped it. I was kind of like, oh, am I still, like, I think, I think there is, there is an energy bar on the top of the screen. So I was like, oh shit, what's happening here? But I started moving through screens, just going, I got, I got to obviously got to get somewhere to face him, not realizing I was being hunted by this guy and I was being shot. And then when I realized, oh no, I'm in a sniper fight that takes place over like about four large areas and you can kind of roam around it. It just uh, like, it's one of those things. <laughs> it's almost like, Going back to what I said about Return of the Obra Dinn, just take as long as you want and just don't mm. ever cheat. Because um, if, even <laughs> if it takes you, yeah, no, but even if it takes you three hours, like it's so engrossing. It's it like it feels like Predator. Like, <laughs> actually, and there is a boss fight who's much more like Predator and Snake Eater. Uh, the fear he has, he actually uses camo and he's up in trees. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. um, the end, it's just and Kojima. I did a sniper fight before in Metal Gear Solid, and he kind of has a sniper bit in in, in Sons of Liberty, and he would continue in in other games. He loves um, a good sniper fight, and there's an argument to be had that maybe his most accomplished one it might be quiet in Metal Gear Solid Five. I still fight. think I still think the end in Metal Gear Solid Three is is the best. Um, it's for ages. I, I like I don't know when this was coming up in natural conversation, but for ages I would say that this was it was the greatest boss fight in video game history. And it's I, my favorite part of that entire game as well. I would argue, and I'm, I think I actually said one of our earlier podcasts, I think Metal Gear 3 overall has the most enjoyable boss fights compared it to, to, have, to any Metal Gear. And how do you feel, do you know the way you kind of get to know Psychomantis and, and, and Sniper mm. Wolf a little bit in uh, Metal Gear Solid 1? How do you feel about them 
the team because like all Metal Gear games, the boss fights are comprised mainly of a team of bad guys who have mm-hmm. different powers that come at you. How do you feel about the team themselves, Marcy? I, I do like them. <laughs> I, yeah, if I was to put one cast of characters up against the other, Metal Gear one I would, would yeah. probably be more in my heart. That is fair. Um, I don't want to skip to to this, but the the boss battle with the boss in in Snake Eater is it just it blew me away. I it, yeah. it, it like the cutscenes are so long around it. It is kind of that piece of the game where it kind of starts to veer into Metal Gear Solid Two territory, where she you know the boss has these crazy long monologues talking you know comparing about Mother Russia and her being a mother. And it's just like I'm like fifteen. Don't know what anyone's talking about. Um, but it's just it's because you've enjoyed the game so much and their relationship has been so built out. Of all of all the boss battles in the Metal Gear series, it's the one where it actually feels like it has some emotional, real emotional impact. Yeah, um, totally. Uh, and again, it's just and, and again, you you know, you have this habit, especially at our age where we you know we played video games that kind of crossed from two D into three D, and you kind of remember games looking way better in the past than they probably you know do today if you were to boot them back up. Um, but that you know the flowers, the music, the it's just such an excellently laid out uh, boss yeah. battle and scene. She's so formidable as well. She's so yeah. difficult and challenging. It's not like uh, it's not an easy fight. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then you know, each time you fight, uh, I think you fight Asla twice in Metal Gear Solid Three. I think I might be wrong about that. Um, but there's just once. As well. I think it's just Is once it just once near the beginning. Yeah. Twice. Um, but yeah, if you, I, I would agree though. You're right. The, the Metal Gear Solid One cast characters, yeah, pr- probably wins out over over Snake Eater. I, I think the cast. I'm not even talking about the cast characters as a whole. I just think the team, the Cobra unit, are a little bit mm. weak. Their boss fights are great, but they are they're all based off emotions, and they are they do, they do just kind of show up and go. I am the pain, <laughs> feel pain, and then you kill him and he explodes, and then the next guy comes up and is like, I am the fear, and you kill him and he explodes. It's just like, <laughs> if, if their boss fights themselves are super memorable, though, just story wise, they're just kind of there. But uh, what, what about what about the sorrow though? The sorrow is in uh, good shout. He's not that, a, he's not a traditional um, boss fight. It's a wonderful boss fight. Yeah, I remember. He's um, not even. Is he even a boss fight? You don't actually have to fight him. You just have to endure. Yeah, you, you yeah, just you the weight of your own sins. Survive. Yeah, yeah. And and again, we talk about you know things that how do you figure them out? Little Easter eggs. The first time I played that, uh, it took me forever to to get through that boss uh, battle. Like again, and why again. Why, why is so, that? It's so hard to explain this, but yeah, you're you're wading <laughs> up river, and the sorrow is kind of in front of you, and you've got all these ghosts that are kind of walking towards you. And you have to kind of you know walk around them. Um, and when I first played it, I was like, Jesus, why is there so many people? I have to circumnavigate. I'm dodging left, right, and center. Um, and again, it was probably a, a magazine because you know the internet just wasn't what it is today. Um, and it's actually the people that you have killed, or the soldiers, and maybe even civilians uh, if you're you're fucked up that way, um, that you've killed in the game so far. Um, and at, again, at the, it goes back to Snake Eater being very difficult. I was rubbish the first time I played Snake Eater. I would constantly get myself into battles where I was like, well, I guess I have to kill everyone if I'm going to get through <laughs> because, this next because, level. Be kinder to yourself because in Sons of Liberty, mm. I think it's so much, it, it makes no sense to kill people in my head. If you shoot them with the trank and put them in a locker, uh, they're, they're, they're knocked out for ages. And if yeah. someone ends up finding them, full alert isn't raised up because they're mm. only asleep. Yeah. Well, in Snake Eater, they made, um, they kind of dialed that back. And if you trank someone, they'll wake up after a while. So I was just like, my main yeah. thing in Snake Eater when I was a kid was I've tranked someone, bring them into the long grass, take out my knife in first person and just like knife them like, really violently. Because 
<laughs> and the main reason it was not, not any like not because I was a psychopath, but just because they wake up too quickly and I needed them out of the I needed yeah. them out of the way. And the only way to do that was to kill them. So by the time I got to that bit with the sorrow up the river, I was playing it for half an hour. I killed almost every fucking soldier in that game to get to that point. And not not in a, not in like cool headshots, but literally dragging them into the grass like That's too funny to me. That's too funny to me. I had to extend my rental. Um, so I, <laughs> oh, I love that. So I rented it. Yeah, yeah. I like I rented it from. Think about this the other night. Chartbusters. Remember Chartbusters? Sure do. Uh, we bring Chartbusters loads in this podcast. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad we do. I have so many good memories from Chartbusters. I can still oh, smell. Totally. I can still smell Chartbusters. I remember finding um, a foreign film in there called Liam, and I was very excited about that. <laughs> I don't know what that is. I should look it up sometime. That's what you should. Anyway, sorry. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, going. Sorry, I was. I was enthralled by how you guys were talking about the Cobra unit. It was the end uh, boss battle that made me extend my uh, rental because I had the exact opposite experience to Marcy, where I like it. Probably took me like four or five hours. Yeah. To actually figure out how to do this, really, and well. it's. It's funny because I think uh, Metal Gear Solid 3, I think something like Breath of the Wild kind of stole some, uh, not stole, but like was inspired by some of its DNA about, you know what, if you can think it, you can do it. Mm. So as in like Breath of the Wild has this like you know, incredible, incredible physics engine to a certain degree where it's like, you know what? I'm going to try this according to the law of physics. This should work. I.e. if I explode this onto this, it'll melt this and then it will shoot this range and therefore I'll be able to, you know. And Metal Gear Solid brings this level of reality. And I remember um, my experience with the end was I was just so blown away by every little detail that happened from like footprints to noise on your end and how he tracked you. Right. Mm. So as in, um, essentially hiding in the tall grass, he would like, if you're out in the the open in the trees and I remember it's almost like a, a, you know, a circular area and there was different sniping points, uh, around there. It's like you, he kind of hunts you based on the, um, how you've interacted with that, with that space. But it's also, you can track him down with how he interacts with that space. So yeah. if you're more patient than he is, he gets to a certain degree impatient. Um, mm. And there's like little things where I, I remember he is like a parrot and you can yeah. like trank the parrot <laughs> and the parrot then will fly back to where the end is, which is how like one of, there's so many ways that you can find them. Um, and I, I remember years later and maybe probably my only playthrough it was like an all kind of cheats playthrough and you can equip uh, the crocodile hat oh, and yeah. you can camouflage yourself as a crocodile and the end won't go near you because he thinks you're a crocodile. So he'll expose it. himself. Uh, a bit <laughs> I more, didn't know right? that. I didn't, yeah, I didn't know that. Like it's, uh, and I think there's another like five or six ways of, of like you can use um, um, infrared. You can infrared. Use yeah. Yep. Yeah, and you can even you can actually snipe him um, before you ever meet him. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, there's, the a cut scene. there's a cutscene. There's a cutscene where he's being wheeled in. I'm not, not I think by uh, by Vogan or someone. Can I just pause for one second? 
we have a lot of listeners who I've only found this out recently who actually don't really play games. We must sound completely insane talking about this game. If you haven't played Metal Gear, <laughs> this must sound completely like use the powers and then you've tranquilized the powers. Yeah, Owen did just say you can put on the crocodile hat. Like Marcy, me and Marcy just like, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I love it. That, and that's what I love about the series so much. Like, it's just it's so wacky, but makes sense. It all, it all well, there's, there's these little frog collectibles in the game to kind of to kind of a side quest and if you shoot them all you get stuff but in the middle of the end fight there's one just beside some water and if you t- take out your gun and go into first person and shoot the frog when you go out of first person he's right behind you and he shoots you and runs off <laughs> <laughs> well i don't know if, if, if you guys remember there was an add-on or you know dlc as they would call it these days and they did a cross collab with um Ape Escape. Ape Escape, yeah. And it's mm-hmm. one of the missions and like the um the radio call is just like it's just one of those ridiculous things that Apes you can't be serious. <laughs> yeah. You know and, what I mean? Name <laughs> drops other games. He goes, um, I don't have time for this. Why don't you get Sam or Gabe to do it? And it's yeah, a it's reference to Cypher Filter and uh, almost Fisher. called it Sphincter Cell. There. Cell? Sphincter yeah. Cell. Sphincter yeah, yeah. Cell. <laughs> but um, yeah, and I just thought that game. was really cool at the time. Let's talk about the main villain, Volgan, for a second. And um, I want to talk about one sequence in particular <laughs> where <laughs> Kojima doing what he does, where you have to dress up as um, a Russian officer who is called, can you remember what is the Russian officer's name is? Um, Raiden. Something Raiden. Something yeah, it's Raidanovich. It's Raidanovich or something. Yeah. Because he kind of, he lent into the backlash against Raiden from Sons of Liberty. And he was like, I'm going to make a, like... Um, a kind of a effeminate Russian um, officer, but you have to put on his mask and pretend to be him and do this whole sequence where you're going around this facility doing um, stealth. And at the end of it, you get caught because Volgan grabs your dick and realizes yep. that it's not you're not Radonovich, which is there's dick grabbing in Sons of Liberty as well. Actually, now let's say it out loud. What's up with that? Discuss. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he he has come out. He came out years later and said that. Uh, I hope I don't misquote him here. That he was really disappointed about about people disliking Raiden so much in Metal Gear Two, because um, for him that had been like you know a, such a big story, a, a big kind of fuck you up, not fuck you almost, but it's such a shock to the story um, that he wanted to give a lot of gamers the chance to kind of get their own back. Uh, on right, you can kill you. Can, you have to kill the ori- original Rodanovich, don't you? You do, yeah, to, to get yeah. the mask. Um, and then, yeah, it's definitely hinted at that uh, uh, Rodanovich has a sexual relationship mm. uh, with Volgan, uh, who is I don't know, possibly four or five times the size of uh, <laughs> Rodanovich. I'm just saying, it's just quite. Okay, me, don't get me excited. Quite, 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 quite a picture. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's it's stupid. It's ridiculous. Think, but joking aside, I think Volgan is such a great villain. He's properly he threatening and kind of um, cruel. He's like mm. really cruel villain. Like there's there's that that Soviet scientist we were talking about in the beginning who kind of kicks the whole story off. Um, Sokolov, his name is. He just gets unceremoniously killed by um, Volgan halfway through the game. And how he does it is he gets beaten and electrocuted inside a, a barrel. And he goes, Volgan's power is his electricity, right? Yeah, because one of the where the game eventually goes in the direction you end up fighting the precursor to Metal Gears. Metal Gears are giant walking robots. It's called a Shagohod. It's, it's a it's a tank on treads that drives around, and he pilots it by ripping wires out of the top of it and controlling it with his magical electricity. <laughs> yeah, again though, the most the most realistic Metal Gear game, the most down to earth, <laughs> grounded. Yeah, grounded, straightforward Metal t- Gear game. Tice. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> well, it's it. You know, I I think the real world elements just enhance everything about the game. You know, there's a cer- there is a certain relatability. I'm a sucker for altered um, altered reality. Yeah. So actually, Marcy, I think you were just finished watching or read like uh, Man in the High Castle, which is on my mm. list. Yeah. I think so. It's something like that. Like it's something like how they approach that, where you know, it's a it's an alternate uh, outcome from World War Two or something. Yeah. Like, the, it, the, and that's the, kind the of what Metal Gear Solid is, right? Yeah. It's like, what if we take all of these real world events? Because uh, I was reading, it was like where Metal Gear Solid Three actually takes place. It's, um, it's real, isn't it? It's a real place, but there's mm. no forest there. Mm. It's in the middle of a desert. You know, and it's like, we're just going to put the Amazon right here in the middle of this, this real place. <laughs> that doesn't exist. Yeah, it's said, like, there's a there's a phone call between, like, um, Johnson and Khrushchev at the beginning of this game. It's set around real-world characters and events. It's set during the Cold War. That's kind of where it gets a lot of personality from, the fact that it's set in the 60s. And, Marcy, you mentioned Bond earlier on. Mm. Uh, obviously, there's a famous theme song in this game, Snake Eater, which I think, I don't, I don't know if any Bond fans are listening, I think it's better, it's, it's clearly a pastiche of a Bond song, and I think it's better than any Bond song ever made. I absolutely love it. Sorry, just, I'm going to let that one go. Yeah, we'll talk, oh. about, we'll talk about some hard time. Um, Ad- Ad- Adele fan here, is it? Skyfall, is it? No, sorry. <laughs> Sam, <laughs> Sam Smith. That's a really good song. That's supposed to offend me. Um, but yeah, but um, I, I just like the whole, like you said, it's real world, but I like the whole kind of it brings the very Japanese, like Kojima takes very Japanese angles towards um, Western pop culture. And he's kind of doing his bond in this one, his version of bond to the point where your commander um, zero is a kind of a very affable kind of British chap in this one. And that's definitely a choice that the localization team made to kind of make him sound kind of like a, a nice British man. Well, isn't probably, there... They probably didn't realize he'd go on to be the overacting villain of the entire series. Yeah. Zero was like super important. It does it was, to the yeah. story. Isn't it Zero who does say, who even references that James Bond is the biggest thing to come out of England since the Mayflower? I yeah. think, that, good, like, I think that's cool. the line. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and Vogan fits into that then. He just feels like, I think he feels like a, a over the top kind of Bond villain. Um, yes, this, you know, yes. Ludicrous, you know, plan. Um, and again, just ties into that Cold War era of, you know, nuclear weapons and all that kind of stuff. It just, yeah, I just... Mel Gersol oh. has always been preoccupied with um, nuclear weapons and nuclear deterrence. Mm. And, and this is kind of the beginning of that, yeah. It's, it suits the setting. But um, kind of have to dive into a little bit other Metal Gears here. But I have a kind of, I, I have a kind of a long-standing opinion about Metal Gear Solid 3. Um, I love everything that comes after it. I'm not talking about Metal Gear Solid 4 here, which is a continuation of Solid Snake, but but um, the big Kojima boss story kind of Kojima, Kojima continues uh, the the do prequels about Big Boss in um, Peace Walker and then in Metal Gear Solid Five. I think Snake Eater by itself is a perfect origin story of Big Boss, and we actually didn't need to see more. It's so well done that by the end of it, you, you understand why he'd become a big fucking terrorist villain mastermind. You understand why he was betrayed by his country. And I'd agree. Like, so it's, I'm not as, uh, I'm not as invested in the handheld games, portable, portable ops. And well, only one of them it, is canon. You can actually, is it Peace port, Walker? Portable ops, yeah, portable ops. Yeah, is portable yeah. 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 Peace yeah. Walker's uh, canon, but there, there is just something about that uh, era and Big Boss as a character that I'm totally on board with that entire, uh, entire journey. Do you prefer him over? Do you prefer him over Solid Snake? Do you think? I think so. 
I yeah, I think so. <laughs> like Marcy just did the most cartoonish face drop I've ever seen. That was completely yeah, genuine. Like, yeah, <laughs> I haven't seen him face drop like that since I bad mounted Bond songs two minutes ago. But like when you know when I, when I think about it, like Metal Gear Solid One, like uh, like Solid Snake is a, a really great character. He's you know he's cool as shit. Like I love David Hayter as a voice actor. Does an amazing job uh, for for both characters that, that he voices. But everything about like Metal Gear Solid One, which had the most interesting parts of Solid Snake, it was everything else around it as well that heightened that experience. Like Shadow Moses was a character, you know. All mm. of the other like uh, uh, villains uh, in that made that story and elevated Solid Snake as a character. But I think Big Boss, as in like as an individual, um, is just has been true more and is just a much more interesting character yeah i i'm torn because i actually when i look at where say the story from two goes into the guns of the, you know the, the patriots um which is a game i think is the weakest metal gear game in the series four um, and four yeah not including peace walker i agree with you yeah not yeah i, w- I wouldn't include i and i don't think i've even played peace walker I, I i just don't have many memories from from it and then kind of where you know i suppose the big boss stories goes you know to ground zeros um and into Phantom Pain, which wasn't really very story-driven either. Um, I, I don't like where either kind of go. So I kind of have to look back at one, two, and three. Gotcha, and the story, yeah. You know what I mean? The story they've kind of brought so far, and that, that's kind of what I, I think about when I talk about. Um, you know, it's so silly because Big Boss, is he really that different from Solid Snake? I don't know. He's a clone. It's obviously supposed to still really be Solid Snake. Um, it's just a way to make the timeline kind of work. Blah, blah, blah. I think Big, um, Boss's, Big Boss's arc is more, it isn't all about being portrayed by his country because talk about the ending of Metal Gear Solid 3 for a second. I, I, I love it. I, I love how Metal Gear Solid games and Kojima games in general are melodramas. Like they're like they're mm-hmm. very self-serious a lot of times, but they're big operatic stories. And the emotions at the end of um, Snake Eater, he just goes <laughs> so big with it, but it completely works. There's there's double agents, there's triple agents, there's betrayals up to Wazoo at the end of that game. There's it, it, it works as a prequel as well because it introduces um, Metal Gear Solid Two is about the Patriots who are kind of a shadow government running America. In- introduces the philosophers, which are the um, kind of precursors, precursors to them, and it's it's all about money, a shit ton of money that the superpowers are trying to get during the Cold War. But it turns out that the boss who defected to Russia, she was doing it because she had to. She had to be a patsy, and she kind of sacrificed herself. She, she America forced Snake to kill her, and she knew, she knew she sacrificed herself um, for America, and that was kind of the end of Big Boss doing mm. anything for country ever again. And because that's his whole character is like, I want to make a, a world without borders um, and stuff like that. And the ending of him, like the of Ava, Ava, who who yeah. um, we haven't even talked about her. She's like no, the yeah, great character. She, she's yeah, she's brilliant. Yeah. Great she's very absolutely brilliant. Yeah. But she's she's working for the Chinese at the end of it, and she her voiceover <laughs> is a big kind of explain a big exposition dump at the end, explaining exactly what happened, who betrayed who, and it, you learn all that information just as Snake is getting like a, a medal in the in the Oval Office, <laughs> and he just like, doesn't shake the president's hand, and he walks out, and it's all dramatic. And then he ends up, it's he, the same game. <laughs> it's the same game as, as shooting parrots and frogs. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. Love it. And he, he ends up at her grave and just does that salute. Well, you see it as a gif yeah. all the time, you know, Snake with the eye patch doing the salute, and then the one tear. And for me, it completely fucking worked. It's, it did what, work. What's most important is that it's completely earned. Yeah. And especially if you play that game in close proximity. Because what, what after Snake Eater, what Kojima abandoned with that series is 
the one day mission type thing, you know, where yeah. you start the mission and then Snake is doing this for 12 hours and it ends up and yeah. And if you play that game in really close proximity, you feel like you've been through the hells and the ending completely it gets you as well. You feel betrayed. Tough. You you, yeah. under, you you agree with him. I really want, uh, Liam, you said perfectly. I actually was going to ask closer to the end of like, Metal Gear has veered so like so far away to what it was uh, originally, um, and I was going to ask you guys the question of: Do would you like to re- see a return to that gameplay design of going back to that that one day adventure? Yeah, because like, what well, Phantom Pain is, you know, it's as long as you want, right? As in, like, you can yeah. fast forward time if you want. Metal Gear Solid Four and like- is a set timeline over the course of X amount of days. Yeah. And I understand why when he was continuing Big Boss's story, he had to make Big Boss um, a leader of a, of a huge army. And so so with the gameplay kind of um, ideas he came up with of running a base and um, recruiting soldiers and having that oh, makes sense. But I I don't know if it's like, it, it is mostly just nostalgia and just a preference for those games. On, but wholeheartedly, yes, I'd love to see a Metal Gear game that has that kind of snake as shot in on a submarine or whatever at the beginning. And the whole game is set in that one night. I just connected that more. Even... I was I was left very cold by four. It was mm. interesting. Four has different chapters that are set far apart and very, and very different settings. And I appreciate the fact that he tried to mix up the settings, but I I did immediately miss that one night one mission kind of um, aspect to it. And it goes back to kind of where games are today, where really a lot of people buy games now by how long it is, long how much there. time they can get out of it. That game is probably one of the shorter. The shortest Metal Gear Solid games? About 12 hours. I'd, I'd say 10, 12 hours. De- definitely shorter than Phantom Pain. Maybe around the same as MGS1. But um, there's just no there's no, there's no no filler to it. It's just all, all together the whole way through. And it's yep. just, it, it goes back to the day if you could play a game, enjoy an experience, walk away from it and go, God, that was brilliant. And I can go back and replay it, but I don't need to put in you know, 100, 200 hours for it to be you know this amazing yeah. epic adventure. Bef- um, before, yeah. before 5 came out... I'd kind of abandoned Metal Gear. When Metal Gear 4 end, came out and it ended, that was, I felt like such an ending to the series that I kind mm-hmm. of let it out of my heart for a little while. But I had to play 5, obviously, when it was coming out. I didn't even play Ground Zeroes when it came out. Well, that's the thing. I actually, Marcy, remember uh, moving over to Canada and you very, very kindly uh, put me up for a little bit. Uh, Marcy had uh, Ground Zeroes, which was, mm-hmm. for all intents and purposes, it was a demo for 5. And Ground <laughs> Zeroes, in my opinion is the metal gear solid five that we deserve mm. it's one night it's a rescue mission it's actually it, true it's yep. the sandbox yeah. you land on an island and it's the sandbox there's massive amount of variety and uh ways to approach that mission Plus, just like yeah. i spoke about it's and it has all of the the enhanced gameplay mechanics that five has and there's the amount of secrets like my i, I remember like watching marcy and then he'd watch me and it's like our playthroughs were completely different mm. like yeah. just so different if you if you haven't played it, liam it's it's I have, definitely I, worth I, it. I have played it now i just didn't play it when it came out i waited for five yeah i was just i was just going to say that like i replayed the entire metal gear solid franchise on the lead up to um metal gear solid 5 phantom pain coming out and that was my first time playing snake eater hd with the mm. camera and i played this game about four or five times growing up like it was a game i returned to so it wasn't like fresh and just agreeing with what Marcia said in terms of like how it's just one, it's just the pacing of it and how it's just kind of, you know, no fat. I couldn't, I had no work that day, I remember, and I just finished it. 
I just I was like, this is my day. I, I absolutely loved it. And you kind of and if you do if you play it like that, you kind of do feel like you're kind of that one man on a mission type thing as well, you know? It sticks with you it, longer. But there's so does. many things that I didn't find out for years in that game. It, like, like you said with with Ground Zero, it was like he he expanded on ideas that he began in um in Snake Eater with just in terms of just the the um the ways you can go about things. Did you know that you can go to certain um buildings, um there are storage buildings in the game and you can blow them up with C four and then uh, soldiers can't rearm themselves when when new soldiers have to be called in when you get caught and stuff so like that. Cool, it's so cool. It's just insane. I love and I and he he continue expanding on that as it goes on. But for me, like I, just something about the open world of Five and how how much of it felt kind of like filler. As good mm. as the gameplay was, it just kind of felt you know I'm kind of just going through the motions. I'm doing hours and hours of just stealth, and then it's all very kind of vague. Rescue hostages and get get the get the information and I couldn't really yeah. latch onto it or care I think he hit a sweet spot with Snake Eater and still my favorite one and like I said I, I find it if I, if I start playing it I find it very hard to put down I love it absolutely love it I hope, just, they, re- hope they remake it that's I hope. what I, Marcy yeah. like I'm mm. I'm annoyed how unaccessible a lot of these games are oh, you know like yeah. as in how we can't be like can't play these on you know PlayStation and like play Metal Gear Solid Four, which is exclusive to the PlayStation Three, which was yeah. built on um, the Cell architecture, which was notorious to code on. They can't. There is games that are lost on the PlayStation Three right now because they can't natively get them over to uh, other platforms unless you really? stream them. Yeah, yeah. That's why we don't have like uh, essentially in any game that was developed for PS Three exclusively is lost to that console. Yeah, almost impossible to remake. Like you, you yeah. can play them on, like say, PlayStation Now. So you can, which well, is where I play them. them. You have streamed them, uh, where I played them most uh, most recently. Which is such a shame because, like, something like a Snake Eater, a new lick of paint for that, just like a graphical update, you know, w- with the HD camera. Um, I'd go out and pay full price of that game tomorrow. You know what I mean? So r- rumors are, and I know we don't speculate on this show. But we will because we do it not? is that a rule? Hard <laughs> never talked about. Never talked about that. Is um, <laughs> uh, Konami are back in the video game uh, console space, and Hopefully. the uh, the swirling rumors that have been you know um, credited by a lot of good industry insiders. Get it out on! I can't wait. One of longer. one of the Metal Gear Solids <laughs> is being uh, remade. <laughs> A lot of no, a lot of people are pointing uh, towards it being tree. Mm-hmm. Mm. But saying that, uh, for our show, that's actually very interesting. Um, a Irish artist uh, recently, Ava A V A, came out, and she's a classical Irish uh, artist based out of Ireland, and she said that she was working on a big uh, adventure uh, remake or something for Konami. Could be, yeah, could be Metal Gear. Could be Metal Gear 1. Can I Metal just Gear say, 1? specifically no. with this com- specifically with this company, don't give up your hopes, because a few years ago, um, done up beautiful modern HD graphics uh, surfaced online of um, a Snake Eater remake, and everyone was like, mm. oh my god, this is a Snake Eater remake, and it was cutscenes to put onto a pachinko machine yeah. based on Metal Gear Solid 3. That's like all it was. And it was completely made animated from the ground up. And what amount of effort to put into a pachinko machine? What amount of effort to not care about your fan base? Well, it's money, right? Because they, they own lines of... Like the big thing for Konami in Japan, and it's a huge cultural difference, is they own lines of um, gyms and pachinko. 
and that's where they make all of their money in Japan. It wasn't. It was never gaming, like console gaming. Uh, but they're, they're sitting on so many beloved um, IPs that I which really, sucks for I, us. I have no sympathy for them. To be honest, they could either sell them off or um, start making them again. To be honest, I'm going to throw a wild theory out there, gents. Before we, do, we, we don't I, speculate on the show. Uh, <laughs> no, well, you just do. Hang on a second. Yeah, can't do that. <laughs> no, go on. I'm a. I, I love when Kojima plays with the weird, and I love when he breaks the fourth wall. Mm. And I've had something that hasn't like sat very well with me for, uh, for a while. Um, you know this game, Abandoned, and they were all saying that it was um, Kojima's uh, was attached to it, and it was his um, Silent, Silent Hill. Yeah, yeah. So Kojima has said in the past that. He wants to develop a game, and this is so fucking Kojima, where social elements would come into play, where it would interact, a game would interact with you in the real world. So as in, like, if you're playing Silent Hill, like, essentially your Facebook or your Instagram or whatever, the game would <laughs> seep over into uh, your real world events. I know. So this, so this game, Abandoned, uh, they had a app that was released, and it was apparently like co-developed by Sony. And what happened was they were like, download the app and we'll give you the trailer. So everyone downloaded, a whole load of people downloaded the app for the trailer. And they never released the trailer because they had <laughs> get, they had engine problems. So my theory is Kojima has secretly had a whole load of people download an app where out of nowhere one day... <laughs> It's just going to start okay. fucking with people. I was okay. Just yeah. I want to download wow. it now because I want to get fucked with by Kojima in yeah. the night. Because like <laughs> you download it and nothing happened. They actually were like, oh no, we had a problem with the game engine. So we're going to delay everything. And then they went radio silent. So essentially people are sitting on this app that they completely forgot about that they downloaded. Brilliant. And That's I guarantee brilliant. you during like E3 or something, like whoever downloaded the app, it's just going to start fucking sending them push notifications of like, Hey Liam, I'm inside the house, kind of thing. Like, <laughs> it does sound very Kajina. Very, very Kajina. I hope so. I love your optimism, but remember Pachinko Machine. Pachinko Machine Snake Eater. <laughs> the specter of that should hang over all our excitement over anything Kojima related or sorry, Konami related. I want to play Metal Gear Solid 3 again. Thank you. What I do what, what I do enjoy you know talking to you gentlemen is you pique my interest in games again. Yeah, like Marcy went and played. Final Fantasy Nine, which to be fair, Marcy, I never thought you would do. Mm, Liam is yet to fucking. Liam, oh, man, I was no. I was dragging you. I, I was like, he won't fucking play Final yeah. Fantasy game. That fucking a jock bastard. No, I don't know. Sorry. Whoa! <laughs> oh my god, well, that wasn't even to me. I don't even remember you saying that to me. Um, but no, first to Liam. Liam did actually play. Um, Liam finished uh, Football Manager uh, 2021. Um, I thought I was playing it. Yeah, and it was just it was actually Cuphead. I didn't know what a Football Manager looked like. <laughs> Oh no, I God. haven't done it yet, but I, I, yeah. I will. I know. No, it, it is it is a cool thing about this podcast. Yeah, like I never thought in a million years I would play. Uh, the coolest thing about playing Final Fantasy, which I hope some people do, and uh, when they listen to our podcast, I think that I, I think is the coolest thing about it. Um, I, to play a game that's more than twenty years old for the first time is a really unusual experience. I love doing that. I it's it's really cool, it. right? Yeah, I have no nostalgia attached to it. the characters. Like I was for the first four or five hours, I was like Zidane is a monkey. No one's explained that to me yet. Can we, <laughs> like I, just have to, I have to deal with it, and move forward. Um, but it, it is cool, and I hope people listen to this podcast do you know 
with some of the games that are accessible because so many we talk about sadly aren't um but like go back and pick up something old pick up something you know that's been out for 20 years and, and experience it for the first time because it's it's a really really unique thing to experience that kind of in, in 2021 and if it's true that we have a lot of non-gamers who listen to the podcast like i believe in this medium so much and i love it so wholeheartedly and like there's so many things you can pick up if you think you can't play games because of the time or the skill set it's not really the case anymore there's some i, I pick up Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater and have that be the first game you ever play <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be brilliant great call i love that. that's a great <laughs> show yeah yeah how about we wrap it up there friends this was our 20th episode so just to reiterate a, a big thank you for listening to hey look listen liam yeah I, can i just say something before we leave i'm shocked yeah go on can right. i just compliment you on the episode that you did solo last week before we oh, leave thank you very uh, much oh my gosh i thought it was i thought it was brilliant and i owned lost planet and it was shit so <laughs> There's that. Thank you. I never played it. I just felt I should mention it. So thank well, you. Owen. That was awesome. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. So thanks for holding the fort, Liam. Really appreciate it. No worries. And thank you everyone for listening. And bye bye. Bye. Fuck our brain.